I hope you enjoyed part one. Here is part two. Yeah, challenging. You say the ch uh, cannabis industry being a challenging business. You've you had what five restaurants in the past, and then the sixth being your your Mediterranean joint seven, in Anaheim. Seven. So six and one. So yeah. So six sports bar pizzerias that my brother Rafi and I started. Actually, he started um, in two thousand one, and uh, we we then I took the second one after him, and then we grew it to a total of seven restaurants in North Orange County doing pizzas, pastas, salads, calzones, and a sports bar environment. Yeah. Giving back to the community. Like yeah. The, the, the growth we had from what we... We made fucking pizzas, dude. What made you get out of that, though? What, you were just bored and wanted to do something else? Well, well that... We, we, started, we started making a lot of money yeah. and didn't know how to manage it because that's something we're never taught. We just thought this is going to be good forever and it was something that you got to stay relevant. Mm -hmm. And uh, it became a desk job, and I didn't want that. I, when I made the most money is when I worked in that restaurant, slamming dough and growing and you know working every day, long hours, long days, and opening up these restaurants. But once you had them, then I wasn't working in the restaurant anymore. I was sitting in a warehouse office with a basketball hoop inside and all these toys around, and right. my friends would come hang out, and we'd fuck around. And right. It started to become a downward spiral for us. You know, We lost the drive. So we weren't fully committed at that time. The economy had changed. Um, so we just weren't there. So I, that was, I didn't leave it, but I wasn't involved in it as I should have been. Um, it started hemorrhaging us. So I finally, you know, I met uh, my wife and things were changing. I needed to like do something, you know, I can't be stuck like this. So I thought I'd get back to the basics. So I opened, we opened as a family, me and my brother, we did this for my mom. We opened a place called Medi Kitchen. Mm -hmm. It's an Armenian Lebanese restaurant. We took everything that, you know, my mom was going through a tough time herself. I figured this would be good therapy Perfect. for her. Yeah. I'd be in the kitchen with her. And I really, I went back in the kitchen and the, the restaurant, when I look out the window, literally across the street, I could see Peps, one of my stores yeah. where I, everybody in the community knew me. So people would walk in and I'd be in the back fucking chopping vegetables and people would be like, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that so, guy across yeah, the street. Yeah, it was yeah. that guy too. They're like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Motherfucker, this is like therapy right yeah. here, chopping yeah. veggies." Yeah. So, dude, we did. I did that for a couple of years again in there, and then again, I was like, "This is this," for me was like, "I'm done." Like, I served this. I did it. I served the community. I motherfucked the food industry. Like, I get it. I'm just not passionate. I still love to cook and stuff, but I'm just not there, dude. Ready to move so on. Ready to do I something. I was ready else. to move on, and and then uh, get back this, to the mint this, weed. This chick. Jamie Alifacio, uh walked walked into my life, into my restaurant, and I've known her family. Her younger brother used to work for me when I first opened Peps. At 18 years old, he was working for me, so I knew her. And uh, she was talking cannabis biz, and uh, I was just invested into a company called Idrisel, which is a cannabis company. It was a standardized, measured, consistent dosage from an FDA-approved sterile laboratory. Doctor can write a prescription on a pad, and insurance companies were paying for it, like, way ahead of the time. So she and I fucking raised a grip of money for this company, and uh, we are now currently, like, the largest shareholders. Um, unfortunately, the, the owner, the CEO, is an egotistical maniac, larger than life, super fucking brilliant German dude, brilliant, but too controlling and too, he's just... He's a narcissist, so I wish the company well, and I know he's not sitting on his hands, and I see it. I, I follow him on his Instagrams and his Twitters, and I see what they're doing, and I know they're going to do something big, but we've currently taken a seat back, but that's when she and I joined forces together to take on 
this industry together but we were both business owners hard workers driven smart come from the street background um, hard knocks both of us and uh, dude, we went in we took up like uh, three fifty seven thousand square foot greenhouses in Salinas and then we started this 40,000 square foot building in downtown LA and now we're in beautiful Montebello, California, <laughs> about to build another massive manufacturing facility. Are you? That yeah, we really? just we just got our we have our state approval. We've got our city approval. Oh. And uh, I just finished my mechanical engineer and electrical and plumbing plans to submit. But we're go. We're just gonna build. I'm about three months out from down here. So, dude, I'm still I'm still in this lane. But again, I'm feeling that the drive, the passion, is not there. There's you and many others that are gonna be in Montebello growing, right? Yeah, I'm actually not going to grow okay. because the the growing cannabis is one of the most challenging and it's a uh, commodity spiral down to the bottom. When these bigger guys come online, it's going to be very challenging to grow. What are you gonna so do? I'm doing uh, manufacturing, manufacturing, retail, delivery, and distribution. So manufacturing is uh, these making of everybody smoking these vape carts or the edibles or concentrates and dabs. You would manufacture those. So we we did a we did a partnership with a group out of Seattle, Washington called Root Sciences. These guys are like the king of extraction. They struck one deal in one, every state, and dude, me and you know, Jamie, I should say, she finagled these dudes mm -hmm. to like work with us. It hasn't worked out the way we wanted it to, but that's who we've partnered with. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we got some badass equipment, German equipment, which is like the Bugatti of equipments that are out there. And these guys have the knowledge because they've been doing it for multiple years. And they're the global distributor for this equipment. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're going to build this facility out here in, in the Montebello here soon and be pumping out compliant oil mm. and uh, getting medicine out to the street, recreational and medicinally. It's a lot going on, man. A lot, a, lot, a lot in the cannabis space. I've never smoked in my life. Good for you. Never in my life. And why? I, they say there's <laughs> several different benefits from smoking marijuana. You believe that? 100%. You know, marijuana in the United States, we have a pain scale anywhere of one to 10. Okay. In the United States from one to three, we give you uh, Motrin and ibuprofen and aspirin and Advil. Cool. From four and up, you break your arm. That ain't deathly pain. That's not excruciating nerve pain. Mm -hmm we start prescribing opiates like Norcos and Vicodins and any kind of other opiate that's out there, uh, Oxys. And uh, we have created a massive drug problem. So we believe that from one to three and four, you have your over-the-counters. From four to seven, you can use cannabis to treat your pain. Eight and up, when you've got chronic pain and you've got nerve damage, like cannabis ain't gonna help you. So you probably need a heavier narcotic. Mm. But when they're prescribing people in that pain level uh, opiates, dude, you're that we are the problem. Mm. They're creating the drug companies know what the fuck they're doing. Mm. They're prescribing these things and they got a broken arm. So let's say you break your arm, they give you a Norco, you go home, you eat them for a week, two weeks. Well, now you're a little bit dependent, man. So when you were chilling, you took off of work because he wrote you that you didn't have to go to work for a couple of weeks. People take advantage of that in our society. And next thing you've been popping pills, you run out, your doctor won't give you another one. He might. After you take that, you're calling your friend. Hey, you have any Vicodins? Oh, okay, cool. I've got yeah. some I didn't take. Next thing you know, you're an addict. Next thing you know, you can't get your drug from the pharmaceutical, and now you're buying the street version of that drug. Mm -hmm. And that's how the drug problem really has started and sustained itself in the United States. So to answer your question, 100%, the plant has medicinal value. 
absolutely take away the hypnotic thc right thca when you strike it with a lighter it decarboxylates it knocks off the a it makes it thc changes the molecule you get high so if you don't if you don't raise the temperature to make it active you can juice it and it has so many nutraceutical values the plant mm. you know there's got so many cannabinoids the human body has receptors like we have opiate receptors they're known well now they've realized and there's white papers written that there's an endocannabinoid system and we as human beings are cannabinoid deficient now we have all these ghosts Parkinson's and we have uh, cancers and we have uh, multiple different things people are getting that we don't know how to treat and is it because they took cannabis out of our system you know a hundred years ago and now we have two generations that are endocannabinoid deficient and it's causing all of these things now we don't guarantee that but it's starting to look that way yeah so i don't rec i tell my my family like mm -hmm. take the cbd oil you know it's like taking fish oil use hemp seed and put it on your cereal like not that you have to get high the rec not to get high if you don't have pain but you still want to ingest some of that shit like I don't oh know. no I, ha I have hemp seeds too i put my shake in the mornings yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. okay anything hemp like you should put you should be putting it into your body yeah honestly like mm. you should be putting it in it will benefit you and you know it ain't the all it savior of everything but it's if, if there's so much resistance against it because it it does cure and if you do the research like we can't say it cures you know but people get sued for that right but it's it's got a proven track record right now that's earning it merits and uh you know there's people out there that are carrying cancers with it there's the research is out there it's coming you now they're going to figure out big yeah. pharma is going to figure out how to synthesize it right They've already tried with Marinol, but why the fuck not take the real thing, man? Mm -hmm. Like, why use a synthesized version if it's really there and not just grow real, clean, compliant, tested, mm -hmm. pest-free, you know, product? You've experienced, talking about products, you've experienced with DMT and... Ooh, yeah. Com combo. Combo. That's... Uh, Plant therapy. Would you call that, like, uh, the sister of ayahuasca, or it is ayahuasca, or... Yeah, so DMT, dimethyltryptamine, is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a brew that ancient Amazonians have figured out. This is straight fucking alien technology. <laughs> and have, figu <laughs> have figured out how to take out of the thousands of species, species of uh, vines and trees and plants, to take a, a vine and a root, a tree bark from a, two different plants and boil them and make this brew that uh you know the mm. shaman will give you administer and to drink to have these profound uh, spiritual transcending uh, experiences so the dmt is the active ingredient in that dmt is found in you know in every ecosystem it can be extracted from the grass in front of your house it's your body produces it in its pineal gland um it's it's something your body's it, it has in it already it knows exactly what to do with it it is the most powerful psychedelic known to mankind yet it's not a drug it should not be masqueraded as a drug this is a hormone and it's some really serious shit and it's one of the most controlled substances on the planet. It's very, very challenging to get, but really it should be on the cover of Time magazine and everybody should know and everybody should experience it. You know, something that's similar to it would be like, you know, eating, you know, a handful of mushrooms and having a profound experience. But the DMT is just 
it's not for everybody. It's not something that you, you read about or you hear. It's kind of making this movement now. You start hearing more and more about it nowadays. You got all these silicone tech guys like going out to um, Peru and doing ayahuasca and stuff. Hey, more power to them. As long as it's creating an awakening on, you know, on Mother Earth, dude, then I'm good with it. But it shouldn't be uh, used recreationally. It's yep. not something like that. What made you do it? I've, I started experimenting with psychedelics from a very young age. I was eating a lot of acid in high school, um, just trying to find myself, just trying to see what else was out there. And it kind of removes the veil and gives you an outlook and a different perspective on life and scenarios and situations. It removes ego. You know, they don't want you to not take psychedelics because they're afraid you're going to jump off a fucking building and kill yourself. It's because you're going to wake the fuck up. You know, you're mm -hmm. woke at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was experimenting with a lot of... Uh, mushrooms and LSD from a young age and it was something that I heard about I heard about you know uh, Joe Rogan talking about it and I was doing my research on it but I just I just couldn't find it you know and I started kind of looking for it but it was, I, it was something that I couldn't find but I just talked about it for about four years man I researched it and researched it and researched it because I was I was intrigued I wanted to know you know uh, spiritually what was going on because there's more than meets the eye mm -hmm. in today's society obviously so I was in I was in Canada with a group snowboarding and shit with some friends up in Whistler and a couple friends and a couple randoms and somebody came up to me and said hey Chris hey man we have some DMT do you want to try it and you would think after all that I would be like fuck yeah and I was like absolutely not mm -hmm. not right here not with you not right now you know it was like oh okay that was the end of it. No pressure, no did, nothing. Did they do it in front of you? Uh, it wasn't. It's not something that you just do in front of me. They did experiment with it, and there were room. One of the rooms there. Okay. Room. But I mean, the you, fall, the you didn't see them hallucinate or anything like no, that, right? They, no, okay. no, no, no. And then the 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 next day, I was at the top of Whistler, and you know, you're at I don't know, thirteen or seventeen thousand feet. Just real surreal, epic day. It was like a spiritual day. I came back down. I had, it was an amazing time, and the same dude. His name's Lewis, and he was just like, hey, Chris, I saved you some of that DMT. Do you want to try it? And I just was like, absolutely. <laughs> but I'd like to be alone, mm -hmm. you know, if that's okay. And uh, so I said, I'm going to take a shower, and then you could come back in here. So I did. We took a shower, and I, I, I took a shower. <laughs> we, <laughs> I took a shower. I came back into my room. I was just chilling. He came in, and I don't know how much to fucking smoke. I, I, I really didn't know. I'd never even fucking seen it before. Um so you packed it in the pipe and it's crazy i've shared this story with my old man once telling him man you need to smoke some dmt <laughs> but uh dude i just took like i took like three or four really massive rips of this shit and blew it out and you know like i said i had done a lot of partying in my life and i can at any time as deep as i was walk into a bathroom look in the mirror pull fucking baseline and know that i'm fucked up and get back to the party mm -hmm. I was sitting there and afraid for my life because something was taking over me that I'd never felt and that I had I really was losing control and I felt like I was being pulled into the rabbit hole like just something was pulling me like damn and I'm fighting I was trying to fucking get myself out and, I'm, mm. and from the third party you know I heard this one has a very strong mind and I just would not go and then the silhouette of a being appeared and put its hand out to me and just told me come it was footsteps I heard and then come and then I felt like 
my this sounds crazy it's called astral projection when I did the research you're actually if you believe this stuff your soul can leave its vessel which is your body and you have this real profound experience and it's trying to ex trying to explain it to you right now it's like trying to explain a kaleidoscope to a blind man <laughs> it's just really not possible no, that's but, good keep going but like no, no, the, you no. know the hairs on my arms yeah. and back on my neck stand yeah. up talking about this and like you, you cross, man, and not everybody crosses, but you cross to a place that they say where the souls lie. Like there's a, there's a book that I used to read when I was when I was locked up. It's called um, Many Masters, Many Lives by Dr. Brian Weiss, and uh, he just to jump off track, and he describes one of his patients that he does hypnosis with, who's got multiple reincarnations. Um, she always describes a place where the souls rest before they come back. And it's like, after I did that and had this experience and came back and it took me a long, long time to process this. And uh, it's like, wow, now I think that's like, fuck, I've been there. Like, mm. You've actually, some people smoke it and they get stuck in the waiting room and some people smoke it and they actually break, you have a breakthrough, your peripheral bridge actually breaks through. There's more than your five senses out there just because we can't see it or feel it or hear it doesn't mean it doesn't exist mm. there's things out there that do exist and this allows you to open up to a different realm when you when you saw that silhouette come you know come with me put your hand out where where did you where <coughs> where where did it lead you to dude again it's so hard to process that thought but it was just like a again like a, another realm but just a different world and the thing is with dmt it's not it's not like you eat acid and you have a psychedelic experience, an individual one. This is like when you interview people from all around the globe, they all describe the same type of place. So there is something. It's like when you die, it's not like you just turn off. It's like you enter a different space, a different dimension. And that's what it's like. But processing it, it's like trying to come back to you and explain to you the dream I just had. Like you know you were there. You know you saw it, but you can't put it into words. Like you just – you can't. But I, I – I, ended up it really fucked me up actually like it mind fucked me spiritually emotionally on so many different levels yet it made me so much more aware and open and it, it gave me way more than it took obviously but it, it just it stripped me down um to the raw form of whom who i am and made me really comfortable in my skin at that not that i wasn't but way more comfortable in my mm. skin like I knew something that you didn't, you know, I've been somewhere that you haven't, like, I have an understanding of things that 1% of this fucking population on the goddamn planet, like, has known, and more people should, and I went on a search, dude, I went on a search to, like, educate myself, like, I talked to psychiatrists and psychologists and friends and, and TIGs, and I just, my whole, always thinking, what the fuck was that, like, mm. dude, I've done all these, I've done these drugs, I've done these programs, what the fuck was that? And you can't explain it. So I started reading all these books and trying to process it. But the plant therapy gives you what you need. And there's always going to be these questions because we don't know the afterlife. But we know that there's more than what's here. And I'm so much more comfortable in this life than I was before based off of that experience. I've gone back now. I've actually found it. I had a bunch of it. I didn't touch it for fucking two years. Huh. And then I dabbled with it once to see because I wanted to be in a controlled environment. And then I knew what it was and then I blasted off with it once more time and now I just don't people ask me all the time you know would you do it I just don't feel the need to uh -huh. but um you've graduated my from my partner and I have just booked a trip to uh, Peru coming up in September and November actually where we're going to go to a uh, ayahuasca retreat in Peru uh -huh. so we're going to do uh has she done it before uh the DMT she has smoked but she's never crossed 
and uh, and I tell you, it's not for everybody. Like sometimes it's just you're not prepared. So that sounds crazy, but there's entities or beings that allow you to cross and not mm. when it's your time to. And uh, so she hasn't actually crossed, and I always give her shit. Like you don't really know because if you did, you wouldn't talk about it the way you do. So now we're gonna go. We're gonna do the ayahuasca, and then maybe do a little trip through and see a Machu Picchu while we're there. But I'm really looking forward to the to do the. Actually, ayahuasca in Peru. What's your wife think of all this? <clears throat> she, the first time I brought up drugs in my with my wife, well, two years back, she was just like, "What the yeah. fuck?" <laughs> Little conservative <laughs> Armenian oh, girl living at home when you're yeah. dating her. Yeah. yeah. So I've never exposed her to anything like that. Where she, you know, she's very much non. My wife is very, very confident and non-judgmental, but just never had that desire to experience anything on that level. You know, that's just not her. And she likes to be in this bubble, and she likes her material and her. You know, she's not that. She has a lot of depth, but she's not there. Mm-hmm. So highly educated, very well-rounded, very confident, very smart, very beautiful. Like she's got it going on, you know, on so many different levels. But she's never really – she lived – her parents gave her a good life. She mm-hmm. didn't struggle with any of these pains and stuff that she – maybe I had past things from past lives I had to work out. I don't know. But I was testing myself from a very, very young age, so she wasn't there. Now, currently, she's had a couple deaths in the family, and she's fucking what, – what is death, you know? Mm-hmm. What's going on? What happens? I just don't get it. I just don't understand. And I just, I hope my in-laws don't listen to this, but I'm always like, maybe you need eat a bag of mushrooms or fucking <laughs> blast off and try some DMT, you know? You think she'd do it? She's, she's definitely, I will never, yeah. I'm never going to be like, hey, you should try this. But she knows that it's available. And if she ever <laughs> felt like she wanted to question and entertain it, hey, look, man, going through life, going through life without having a psychedelic experience is like going through life without having sex mm. and your human experience here on this planet like you should try it so yeah, they're not going to harm this is not a synthetic drug that's going to fucking kill you this is only going to make you better yeah. you know people have bad trips and because they have too much ego or they're hiding too many things and what scares them is the reality of themselves it's their face falls off or their mask falls off and that's what fucks you up but if you don't have that, you're not carrying that with you, dude. You have a real, beautiful, profound experience. And you can do the research and the data. It's there, dude. Like, it's there. It's not just me telling you this. Like, it's fucking there. It's just suppressed. What about the time when you met your wife and she – was she ever like, no, you've got too much ink, you can't meet my parents? Or <laughs> was it – because this is a this is a girl at the time living with her parents. She was. Conservative Armenian family. Yes, And Mary. dad's going to be like, who the fuck is this guy yeah. taking my innocent daughter? Oh, man. No chance. So I met her at a – I met her after April 24th at a uh, – uh, the nonprofit event that they do. I forget what it's called. Anyway, uh, so I met her at this concert that was after the protest, and uh, I didn't go to the protest, and I saw her there. I was staring at her like I just knew mm-hmm. that this is this is the girl for me, like, which I've never felt before in my life. Anyway, she long story short, she blew me off. She blew me off. I tracked her down through a friend. I found her anyway. We have our history moving forward. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It, we clicked. Going to your question, I got introduced to her brother first, and he was just like holy shit, honey, like, what the fuck, how are you going to bring him home? I didn't have my hands tattooed then, but I had everything else, like, I'm heavily tattooed, and it was definitely an issue, and the first time I went to her house, I came in, and we're in some, like, 
stage military jacket my friend had made. It was pretty loud. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but my father-in-law didn't even come down. And I don't blame him. Okay, but father-in-law knew about who you were and or, – or, or did your – They didn't care that Carnic Sarkeesian is my father and shit. Like you would think in the Armenian community that's a little bit of clout. Yeah. It didn't mean dick. But did your wife at the time say, listen, Dad, I'm giving you a warning. He's got ink around no, him. No, no, okay. no, no. Okay. It was not discussed. So no tattoos. So I went into this covered up for about six months. Okay. In the valley. Why is not he? Why isn't he meeting you though? Why is he? No, he down? met me afterwards. Oh. Not, not that first date. First time I picked his daughter up, he didn't come down to meet me. Why? But eventually, it was the first time she'd brought a man home to okay. her house. Okay. So he wasn't okay. prepared for that. Okay. And okay. I don't, I don't blame the dude. I okay. get it. I got yeah. a daughter now, oh, so for I sure. get it. So you got, I, you got a shotgun and a shovel now. Yeah. I come to <laughs> a couple of them, <laughs> and she's gonna learn how to use it herself. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I came over to several times. I met the mom. The mom and I jived. Like we were just cool. But I still, I was covered up. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I came to their home, and I was always buttoned up to the throat and buttoned down to the hands. And then one day it's summertime, and then we're in the backyard, and. My father-in-law goes, and I mean, like, son, like, it's hot. Why are you always wearing a jacket or you're covered up? And I just looked at on, and I looked at him, and I said, I just just can't do this anymore. And I just, I unbuttoned, and I rolled up my sleeve, and my mother-in-law's face just went white, dude. She's like, oh, oh my God, you have a tattoo? And I said, yeah, I do. I just one tattoo. (laughs) Just one really big one. Just one (laughs) tattoo. And honestly, now, bro, like... They don't know. Again, they don't notice. And yeah. my and on, uh, she's never been into him. But she's like, I just, I love you mm-hmm. for you being this way. I support it. But it was never her thing. But I think she thinks they're cool. She has none. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not big on. I would. I wouldn't say not to. But I'm happier if she doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's not for yeah. her. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't want. Again, that's not that I don't want. If she wants it, sure. she's welcome to have it. But yeah. it's not her. It's not her thing. Here's one that. Honestly, I've been thinking about it all week, and I asked you pre-show about it to make sure you're okay to talk about it as your dad. Yeah. Um, he went through some stuff. He served his time in jail for I think five years. Yeah, he was sentenced to five years. That's yeah. correct. He did a little less time, you know. Yeah. Good behavior, but yeah, we can we can touch on that. So I mean, some of you guys probably your listeners know. Yeah. Some of you don't, but my father is Karnik Sarkisian. He's a uh, very predominant. Armenian revolutionary singer and activist and in the early 80s uh, our agenda and uh, was very hot and there was you know these young groups uh, organizations that were you know committing what nowadays we would call acts of terror but back then we looked at them as Armenian freedom fighters and fighting for our cause and creating awareness you know we didn't have social media back then and platforms that people could get out and you know speak their voice and you know, get information across the world instantly with one tweet. And this sounds wild and crazy, but these guys conspired to uh, to bomb the Turkish embassy in Philadelphia back in 1982. So we were just young kids at that time, you know, four or five years old. My brother was probably six years old. And uh, my dad went down on, you know, if you look him up in the L.A. Times, they have faces of terror. And they got the LA Five, which was uh, five guys, which I currently you know some know very well. Some of them, some of them have grown to be very predominant individuals and pillars of the world, you know, and um, continued on their path of uh, justice and many different platforms now with education. But these guys were young and they came with scars and wounds because their fathers and their forefathers were, you know, brutally attacked and murdered. So you can't, it's hard to like say, I'm gonna, you, I can justify it because we were raised that way, but you know, 
uh, it doesn't two wrongs don't make a right either but you know I try to put yourself in that shoes and I support him and I'm proud of who he is and what he's done and good luck at the time it you know that they didn't really see the whole thing through because they got you know they got caught um, transporting uh, transporting the explosives from here they were kids dude they were in their 20s yeah. conspiring to do this like taking explosives from California on a plane to Philadelphia like mm. holy fucking shit like I tell them what the fuck were you thinking because we've had this candid conversation what the fuck were you thinking Wow, how dude. did he get, I mean security obviously then wasn't the same it but it didn't matter back then yeah you didn't have x-ray machines and shit that they did yeah. now that they went through they just really wow. fucking checked it in they literally just made had a, bags of explosives made a bomb and fucking <laughs> sent it with their baggage wow. and they made it over there but they were tipped off somehow they were tipped off from the inside and uh, they were waiting for them there they waited for one of the guys to grab the bag when he grabbed the bag they t you know they were going to take him down think he just let the bag keep going but basically they took all of them down at the same time we were in anaheim hills my dad was at home i remember this night clearly the doorbell rang and i used to like run down the hallway and slide in my socks to the door mm -hmm. and i just opened the door and i ran back and as soon as the door opened there was f i didn't know them as fbi to just quickly just close the door because they didn't know what to expect shut the door and then they opened it and they peeked inside and they looked at my dad and they just told him i think he knew because they knew that something had gone on in Philly that I didn't grab it. It's hot. Sure. So I think they were all expecting it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, later down we hear that the whole SWAT team had taken over Serrano and Anaheim Hills and the helicopter was out and the whole street was blocked off and they were bringing down the fucking, the conspire, you know, the, the mastermind of all of this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, dude, yeah, they took my dad down right there and, you know, all the boys at the same time and, they did. They fought their case for many, many years. Uh, fortunately for them, they fell in the lap of a judge who, I guess, but I can't say believed in their cause, but had compassion for their cause. And um, if this was a modern day, they would have been fucked. That's it. Life sentence, done. You guys are done. And I'm sure if this bomb went off, things would have been different too. But, you know, they got, they, more than conspiracy, they got uh, the transportation. There's some conspiracy, but transportation of explosives. And uh, some of them did a little more time than the other. But with KS, he did, uh, you know, just under five years at Terminal Island. And uh, so we spent our teenage years, you know, going back and forth to prison to visiting our dad in Crazy. fucking yeah. Long Beach, basically. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is rough, you know. Everybody's dads are around and families are around. And sure. had my mom struggling to fucking, she did, I mean, she provided us fucking everything we yeah. wanted. Everything we needed that woman would provide. But at the end of the day, your dad ain't there. So what do you do? You rebel. Ain't nobody tell you what to do. And then when you get out, you play the whole, well, you weren't here card, you know, mm -hmm. the victim card. Mm -hmm. So we've been through some. We've been through it. What You're you four or five years old, though. I mean, do you remember everything? Or not? Well, the case took 10 years or okay. eight years. Okay. So when he actually went in, okay. I was uh, 11, 12, and 13, okay. or 12, 13, and 14. Yeah. So I remember everything. Yeah. I remember one time being in their court case, going to their trial, because the judge, I mean, the attorney wanted us, the family, sure. to be there. Sure. But obviously not. I didn't know what the organizations and what they were doing with his case at that time as childhood but i knew when the chart when the case finished you know almost a decade later and they went in to serve their time i was a teenager but you knew why he was going to jail why at that he, time yeah oh absolutely okay well, you know we grew up in the armenian community and yeah. you know, we went to ayf camp growing up where yeah. you kind of you know they give you um they we were educated 
you know they taught us our culture they taught us our history uh, they taught us about armenian freedom fighters and things like this that were taking place that were praised overseas with the lisbon five and you know we've all read the you know the trial of sol montelillion and uh dude we don't i don't feel bad about it so what'd your mom think at the time Dude, they were young, dude. They, yeah. they, if he was fucking, you know, in his early 20s uh, at the time, and she was just, you know, she and, and she was probably actually, at that time, she was probably in her early 20s. You know, they came here. They had Rafi at 18 years old. Uh, he had me when he was like 21, 22. So they were young. Mm -hmm. She was just in survival mode, and she mm -hmm. just backed her husband. Mm -hmm. Whatever she, whatever he needed her to do, that woman did. She just kind of basically took orders unfortunately it didn't work out for her at the end but it that's what that's really what happened and you've always had a strong relationship with your dad right my dad i just think he's one of the coolest dudes you know he's got s some crazy stories and he's got crazy experiences and who he's built himself to be from the outside look as a father figure you know he had his shortcomings um, due to him being a father from a very, very young age and then living, being a celebrity and, you know, being an entertainer globally, I, you can't take that away. He's not your average dad. So yeah. some of his actions are frowned upon by society and yeah, they don't look right. And I, I get it. And I respect that. I respect my mother. Like it ain't fucking cool. I get it. But I try to. I'm because I'm non-judgmental and I understand life from a different perspective. I'm able to sit back and separate that emotion and try to isolate him for who himself, rather than how society you right. know, perceives you. And when I do that, it's like I hate to say it, like I, I just I just fucking get it. Yeah. Wrong, right? I don't look at that. I'm not about wrong or right. I'm not here to fucking judge you. Mm -hmm. But do I get it? I can get it. Do I agree with it? Probably not. Do would I do it? Probably not. But do I get it? Fuck yeah, I get it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, dude, he fucking, uh, he's been through it. So we've had our challenges, but one thing for that man, he was always like, hey, dude, you can do it. My, my rules in my house growing up was if you leave the house, you lock the door. No fucking curfew. Didn't fucking matter how old we were. We were fucking young. We would go out. We would do our thing. After AYFs and stuff, we would go. We were kids. We would go. He wasn't around, or when he came back, 13, 14, when I was home, I, we would just go out in the street, hang out late night. We had little girlfriends, 16, 17 years old. No curfews. Just lock the door when you came home. And listen, you can do anything you want in life. If I shot out some windows or clipped some cables or something, like he wouldn't judge you. Boys will be boys was his thing. Get mm. into fights, he didn't fucking care. It was, you get caught with drugs and you're fucked. Mm. And what did I do? Mm. I fucking busted. Out of all the things he lets you do. Don't get fucking busted. <laughs> all the things. But, dude, he was there through my courts. He yeah. stood by my side. He visited me all the time. And so we have that bond that people don't know. Like, I've sat behind that fucking screen with my dad and just fucking, like, we've bonded. He's been there. I've been there. There's a different society there. Uh, that was my college. You know, that's where I learned so much about myself and so many different creatures of this planet. The lows, the darks of the dark. I read hundreds of books while I was in there. I exercised. I came out fit, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've connected on that level. You see oh, him. You see him often. I do. You know, we, he has now moved on. He's married. He's got another child. He's got a, He's got another family. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very fucking weird. It's hard for my mom, my mother. Mm -hmm. You know, she now currently lives with me, and it's awesome. We have a really, really core, cool core, you know, home base. Um, and that really functions and it's good for everybody on many many levels and he's got his own family that people don't get it like i don't i don't i've, he, I've got a brother that i don't really know like I've, I've seen him and i've met him once but i don't know there's a huge 35 year gap between us you know and he's got a wife that i just 
I don't want to disrespect him. I just, there's sure. no interest. Like what? What do you want me to do? Be buddy, buddy? It sure. ain't going to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially but the strong relationship you have your mother. I won't do that to yeah. her. You know, yeah. if I went up to her and my wife, it would be like, oh, how do you do it? Say, right. This is how it is. This is my old man. So you guys can judge or you have your opinions. And that's, I respect that too, because I get it. I fucking get why you feel that way, but you can't understand or get why I feel the way I do. So I keep, I keep my distance. That's my private time. He comes and goes. Uh, I see him regularly and we chat like friends and dude, it's, we've created a really good relationship under the circumstances. And I think, dude, it's, this is my dad. You can't take that away. The years are limited. Life is not forever. So why not just make the best of it and i i truly have dude. yeah good for i try you, to man. do that with everything man. good for you yeah that's a really good way to to live life man because you hold that stuff in your grudges in i don't think that's a way to live uh does he live in the states or is he out of the country yeah he does he just moved he was in beirut for a very long time and uh he's moved back they live here in orange county cool, cool. yeah they do yeah um a few more things and um we'll go get something to eat still being a um Getting back to the to the business aspect, being your own boss can be lonely sometimes. Um, decisions can affect families, etc. Um, most of those decisions can come on the fly, really. Um, it was funny the other day I was watching a motivational speaker, and I never thought this because I've never had kids before. Yeah. And I'm really responsible for myself. I, you know, I, I, I run a business today. It's my family business. I'm responsible for a lot of people, a lot of families, right. my own family, but not my own own family, right? And I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. So I'm really concentrating on myself, really responsible for myself. And he said that once you have a family, a wife, a kid, your motivation is like through the roof. Right now, you really have something to look forward to. You have something you have to work for. That's right. Yeah, I feel like it's the same. I feel like we're kind of in that same boat. When you were, th- whatever, 30, 35, you were kind of, eh, you know, I'm doing my thing. Kind of like the pizza thing. You were like, eh, kind of. And then you had your wife, you had your kid, and you're like, okay, it's game on. I gotta go now. Yeah, you need to step it up, man, because you realize that look, some of us are, some people are born into money, or they have something to fall back on, and some people don't. But, dude, if you don't get up and check yourself every day and set goals and reach those goals and keep fighting for more goals and wanting something, and it's not about materialistic things. It's all about progression. If you're not staying progressive, you're going to lose at this game of life. And now you've got another, uh, you got a child or a wife, something financially you got to support. But, again, you need to, you need to raise a strong-minded, confident uh, child with as little as insecurities as possible. Yeah, for sure. And they're watching you, dude. They're watching you. They're paying attention. Um, I've learned a lot over the years, man. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot from business, a lot of from these experiences that I had, a lot from having a, this relationship that I've had, and uh, all these things keep me motivated. But it's so easy not to be as well, mm-hmm. you know. It's so when you're a business owner, if there's some money coming in, and you you can get comfortable, you know. When you have a boss, someone's not riding you. When you're the owner, ain't nobody riding you at that point. It's you and yourself. It's you and how much you want to achieve and how much you want to put in, how much effort you want to put, how much drive do you have? You need to burn your own fuel constantly, yep. daily, daily. And that's what separates a lot of people. Some people don't want it. No doubt. They and it, your brother brought up a really good point when we were at that barbecue a couple of weeks ago. He was ta- he was saying one of his employees was saying, man, it's got to be good to be your own boss. You can oh, wake yeah. up when you want to do your thing. And he's like, you know, it is and it's not. It's great because I don't have to listen to anybody tell me what to do. But at the same time, 
I got to stay motivated all the time because I'm not responsible for just myself, my family. I'm responsible for you too, man. That's right. You know? And he's so right because you need, you got to be motivated at all times. Especially like you're saying, when you're you're a business owner and you have multiple, for us, we had multiple restaurants at the time and now we have these multiple facilities. And the dude, if you put all the employees together, there's, you know, 100 people underneath mm-hmm. you. And it's like, dude, if you buckle, they buckle. Mm-hmm. So and by the way, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of times, that's times two, times three, their kids, right? So you're really responsible for 300 up, people, dude, 400 people. I think that, and not everybody who goes into that space understands it. And looking from the outside in, you just, they don't get it. They just, again, they think it's glorified, always from the outside. People used to always tell me, oh, you got all these restaurants. It's like, no motherfucker, nobody sprinkled goddamn fairy dust all across mm-hmm. Orange County and mm-hmm. built these restaurants. Mm-hmm. Like, we went out there and we fucking worked. Yep. We were out there slamming fucking dough every day. People at the bar fucking laughing at me because I was making pizzas. Those assholes are probably still sitting at my bar today fucking drinking their beers right so exactly everyone's different but they don't they don't get it what's the future like what's chris in 10 years dude i just want to like i want to obviously you want uh financial freedom but not so i can just sit on my ass and golf every day Mm -hmm. um i want to develop personalities man i want to give back to communities um, I find myself being a motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, I, in the past, when I got out of the situation with the jails and stuff, I did. I did quite a bit of time going and talking to kids with like uh, youth leadership programs in Anaheim. Uh, I went and spoke at the Tiger Woods Learning Center. I used to work with abused women and children. Uh, the city of Anaheim gave me a, a humanitarian award a few years back, a proclamation on behalf of 250,000 people for. And this is shit that I don't. When I went in, if I spoke, it's like I don't even know why mm-hmm. you would give that to me. Like what I do on a daily basis, like that is just who I am. I would want to spend more time on things like that. You know, financially, business-wise, I see myself getting out of cannabis, um, trying to t- trying to transition into real estate real estate development i find that that will probably be the next phase of business which can fulfill what i'm trying to get to because i think real estate is one of the only things that once it's built out mm-hmm. and your properties you have them and they're paid off your mortgages you just have you know mailbox money coming in every month sure so and to get to that point you need to earn a, a pile first so I think I'm about to transition into that part of my life. God willing, everything stays. You know, I'm blessed. I do work hard, but I see myself transitioning from what I'm doing into that real estate. And then, you know, I'm hoping at that time I'm still going to be young, man, and I want to be able to give back, travel around the world. I don't know. Build wells, help communities, build homes. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, mm-hmm. but I know that there's more. I've done a lot. I've seen a lot. I've achieved more than I ever thought that I would, but I've broken loose from that now. I feel like the sky is the limit at this point, man. Yep. I want to be able to give back. I'd like to share my story. Dude, it's like when I have kids that follow me on Instagram and stuff and people that I've come across, friends, cousins, brothers, and they're so inspired. And it's like for a while I didn't get it. And I say, okay, they look at you from this perspective. They see these businesses and they're into the cannabis and they see cool cars. And I'm not flashy with my shit, but I, you know, I got some cool shit and they see that, but I'm not pompous about it. So when they want to reach out and hear, it's like, I'm there for them. I want to talk to them. I want to, I'm, I'm, it, it, it inspires me knowing that I inspire them. It keeps me driving because I know they're watching. Mm-hmm. Well, it's important too, with that next generation coming up, realizing what's good and what's bad. So 100%. if they're around you and seeing that and the successful person starting with nothing, then that's when you know they're on the right track. They are, and it's become yeah. so cookie cutter. Like you go to school, you get your degree, you do this, and it's. <laughs> I think uh, I think that though, when I used to go talk to the kids at this youth leadership program, and I think the parents, they're really uh, academic driven kids, and I used to go in there and keep it real like this, and talk the way I talk, and tell them that. 
you know, you don't have to get out of school and go straight to college. Like yeah. you can go travel and the education you get from traveling and you can be an entrepreneur and you know, there, and I think the parents would have turned off, but mm-hmm. dude, I would get blown up by emails by these kids because they were like, wow, that's sure. I can, so I connect yeah. to that and, and I'm so being told different. it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. man. So you, not everybody has to be a fucking doctor or a lawyer. And I get it. The parents want that stability and that security because that's what society is driving us to be. But right. dude, it doesn't mean that that's what's going to you know make you happy. It right. comes down to happiness at the end. Progression and happiness. So how many kids are you going to have in the next 10 years? Dude, I have one. <laughs> uh, she wants another Molly's one, having right? baby fever. You know, she's <laughs> she, got baby she, t- she told me to ask you that question. I'm sure she did. <laughs> you know, listen, it's, it's her human experience, and I would never rob her of that. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, yeah. we are active. Yeah. It's just it. If you if you're in having luck, you're not having luck. No, so. that's what it is. But I'm, I'm fortunate and blessed that we have the one, and my daughter Mila is... She just started her first day of kindergarten yesterday, and it just blew me away, dude. She's so smart. She's so articulate. She's so confident. She's so brave. And she's got so many cool characteristics. And we've developed this child, dude. She's like a science project. So if I have one, I'm blessed with one. If we have two, cool. When I married her, I said we'll have four. I'm honestly comfortable, but it's not about comfort. If if the universe gifts me another one, then I'm even more blessed, dude. No doubt. Uh, prior to the show, I put up a little story on Instagram and I asked you about cold showers. I was very yeah. disappointed, dude, <laughs> because I thought for sure you're a guy who does cold showers. I, I think I answered that by saying, dude, I've been locked up and that was a, that was a punishment. But check it out. Like I've been to like the, you know, when you go into like, uh, I don't like Burke Williams, you go into Burke Williams and you go into these yep. massages, they have those ice dulges, you know, where you get the, you, pull, mm. you sit on a rock, you pull the cord and it just dumps like, mm. Freezing ice cold that. water on you. I've done that. That's Ooh, cool. Yeah. But I've never really processed to get in and be like, oh, I'm just gonna fucking turn this water on ice cold and get the fuck in there. Like <laughs> in the morning. Get Do the it. fuck out of here Do with it. that. Do <laughs> it. Tomorrow. That's cool. I'm tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Cryotherapy. You never done cryotherapy? I have done cryotherapy okay. multiple times. That's good so stuff I've too. Done cryotherapy. I've done, you know, float tanks with the sensory deprivation tanks. How is that? It's not for everybody until you can get really comfortable being in that confined space by yourself for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, it probably And it takes you a couple times to really be able to relax and let yourself go and really be comfortable in that environment. Um, I've done it, you know, a handful of times, probably like five times. I don't have never had any of these like crazy psychedelic experiences that Joe Rogan and, you know, people I've heard on his podcast talk about. But I do have this like sense of like complete like levitation, just floating in your sensor, your senses are in your nervous system kind of is able to separate from the meat on your body, your bones. You're just weightless. It's mm. a very, very unique uh, experience. How are you floating? You're in, uh, it's all salt. So it's just water in there. Like there's, and then they put, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds of salt, which it's like the Red Sea. And then you yeah, get in there yeah. and you just stay right above the water. And you just have to really like, takes you a, while, a minute to like understand that you can really just drop everything just like let go put your head back and just float completely it's not like you have to like tether your feet mm-hmm. kick, paddle a little bit to kind of put mm. use your neck to hold yourself up you can just lay there dude mm. and you start you feeling like you're like spinning in a circle but you're so small you can't and then you fucking just you can black out like mm. pass out and you wake up you know they knock on the door and it's fresh. like you just feel so fresh and relaxed and uh, connected. It's a great place to go in there and like meditate. One last one. We we end every show with this one. It's routines. I'm a big guy for routines. I like my routines every day. Uh, when you wake up in the mornings, talk to me about it. Mornings. I mean, from breakfast to lunches to work to working out. Um, What's your, what are your days like? 
I've fallen off this last couple. I just had some travels a couple of weeks back, so it just I haven't got back in a routine. But but my routine the last couple of years, um, I get up really early in the morning, which was never my thing growing up. But having a kid like changed that, so I get up very early in the morning. You know, kick it with the family for a few minutes, and then I'm just straight to a trainer. And I have a kid that comes to my house. He fucking we box every morning, mm. uh, three to five times a week. Um, once I'm done with him. It's just, you know, shower, get ready, up to a coffee shop from my house, grab a quad shot of coffee, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and then I'm off, dude. And it's always a different day. Every day is a different day. Mm. Um, I've got so many projects going on. I've got so many meetings that i got to get to. that uh, And then I work remote, so I just usually jump on that freeway and head up to 5 up to downtown L.A., and uh, the day kind of just kind of evolves from there. So set routine would be mainly just – the exercise and then getting focused for the day it gets me going. I always have a busy day, and dude, if I don't work out, it's like I get exhausted pretty quick. Mm-hmm. But um, just getting and doing something for myself first thing in the morning makes me feel very powerful, very very strong. What's your go-to breakfast? Dude, I've been trying to do this intermittent fasting lately, mm-hmm. um, but I do I do a lot of asahi bowls, mm-hmm. and then um, I do a lot of avocado toast with an egg. Bomb. So, it's so good, dude. Bomb. Yeah. And then my go-to for lunch, man, if I could have it all day long, every day would be I fucking eat sushi. I fucking love sushi. For lunch, yeah. yeah. Sushi, yeah. and then I try to do a light, you know, try to do a light dinner. Yeah. We have some options, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, man, you're a busy guy, and I really appreciate you coming on. This means this a lot. This was my pleasure, man. I had a really this good time. Yeah, this was cool. I was able to do this with you. Yeah. It's nice to be able to express and share some of these stories. No, and then you're you're expressing those stories to others, and others are going to learn from it and grow and educate and be a better better human. So yeah, appreciate it. You got it, brother. Thanks, I man. Appreciate it, no doubt. Thank you. All right, man. All Let's right, go man. eat, dude. Let's do it. Yeah. That was fun, man. I can't thank Chris enough. Opened up his story and his book for us. And there's really no excuse for any of us to to lag in life. I mean, we all come out the same way, (laughs) you know. Uh, It's up to us to do the right things. So he's kind of taken that mindset and went tenfold. So uh, he's obviously gone through some stuff as a kid, and that didn't stop him from doing anything positive in his life and, and being a successful person. So thank you, Chris, for that. Thank you for opening up, telling your story, and letting everybody know about it. Uh, and I'm sure you're, you know, you, look, man, we changed one person's life today. I'm, I'll take it. So uh, this is Mike Pod. Thank you so much for making me a part of your day. I am Mike Gabriel. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Mike Pod, all the same. Until next time, folks, remember, no wasted days. Just a good night, everybody. <laughs>